Good morning. Let me put this away. I don't think I need this. It's great to be together. I know we have a lot of announcements, and I appreciate the church just bearing with those announcements because we, we're moving forward. There's a lot of stuff that we're doing, and I'm just so excited just for the holiday season that, that we get a chance to give to our community and uh, to the people around us as well. Uh, I want to thank the new bill for coming up here. Uh, they went through an incredible, incredibly rough time these past few months, and I really appreciate Cheryl and uh, Newbie. They, uh, they really are such an, a great example of strength, and uh, not just physically. I mean, they're like giant people. Um, during the worship service, you know, uh, Newbie asked me to stand next to him. I said, I'm not standing next to you. I'm going to stand next to someone from my own gene pool so that I can look a little bit taller. So I stood next to Ben. But uh, I really appreciate them uh, this past uh, few uh, months, and uh, I'm glad that they had a chance to come up here and share as well. November 21st is the uh, Thanksgiving feast, and I know that we do that regularly, right, every, every year. Um, and this year, we uh, wanted to invite, uh, I know the singles have gone through some transition. We asked the singles if they want to join us, and uh, they said yes. So the singles will be joining us. Uh, this coming November 21st. And I'm going to go on a limb here, if I may, for the family ministry. Um, would it be cool if we exempt the singles from bringing food and it will be the married chance to give to them? What do you guys think? All right. So singles, come. Have a great time. Uh, we want to welcome you guys uh, uh, into the, the feast that we have every month. Last night, I understand that uh, we had a, a singles party, and uh, I heard it was awesome. Deshek uh, uh, came back, he drove the kids around, he, I think he kind of crashed your party. He went there, and he came back and was just raving about the singles uh, party last night. And I want to welcome the singles from uh, the San Francisco Church, who are here. Why don't you guys stand on up? San Francisco, I uh, want to welcome the, come on! Woo! Um, I'm from San Francisco as well. I know, I'm getting there. No worries. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> I want to congratulate you on the Giants' victory, by the way. Woo! I'm from San Francisco myself. And then uh, from the Atlanta church as well. Let me get those guys to stand on up. All right. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming all this way, and I love the Atlanta Church. I had a chance to visit there a few times, and uh, you guys, your music ministry rocks, too. And then from the Seattle Church, let me get those guys to stand on up. <laughs> or should I say, let's get that guy to stand on up. No, Welcome, sister. It's great to have you with us. Um, you know, we are a part of a church that is worldwide, and we care about each other deeply, care about the projects around the world as well, and we have a, a great family. I'm so proud of our churches around the world. And we are about 100,000 disciples, roughly, uh, throughout, um, I don't know how many countries. I think all the countries would maybe an exception to, like, North Korea or something. And even in North Korea, I think we have a couple of people sneaking around in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I hope they don't get caught. But uh, that's who we are. We are a worldwide fellowship, and uh, we do a lot of projects around the world. And thank you, like Mark said, 
in advance. I know Catherine would love to come up here and thank you as well for the money that we sent. Uh, it really makes a boatload of difference to so many people that we won't even know until the day we see them in heaven together. Speaking of the ministry, of the singles ministry, uh, from Seattle, I want to welcome a, a sister, uh, Mari Robinson. Let me get her to stand on up. She, uh, there's Mari, all right. She uh, uh, was originally from Seattle, and I want to welcome her. She's placing membership on the west side. So uh, I want to say that because those two brothers and sisters from Seattle want us to bring her back, but it's done. Once I make that announcement, she's in our fellowship, and uh, no more moving around, all right? Let's say a prayer. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, we uh, love you so much. God, I pray that the songs we sing to you are pleasing. Uh, they come from our hearts, God, who uh, want, that wants to worship you and honor you. God, we pray for those who are sick and needy amongst us, like Jack uh, Goldberg, uh, who can't be here with us physically. But we pray that we can be with him uh, all the time as well, just visiting and really reaching out. Uh, thanks so much for Al being here, uh, Al Donaldson, and the way you work with him. Uh, it's great to have Doug, seeing Doug walking around in the back, Doug Bundy, and uh, pray for his two operations uh, coming on up. And uh, it's great just to, to be together and uh, just to really spend time uh, with each other. Thanks so much for Scott as well, the way that you've healed him as well. Father, please be with us as we preach your word. Uh, Father, help us to have the hearts to always give our very, very best to you and to those around us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. You know, today we're going to talk about a couple of things, and you're visiting with us today. It's, uh, I never talk about these things. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's been a while, but I might as well hit them both together. We're going to talk about hell, and we're going to talk about money, okay, and how they relate together. So if you want to leave now, go ahead. I'll close my eyes. Uh, two things, money and hell, okay? And I'm going to try to craft it in context so that we get a perspective of what that means. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16. You know, Jesus was a troublemaker. He was. He came and he stirred things up. And if you look at the Bible, if you read the New Testament... He speaks more of money than anyone else in the whole Bible. As a matter of fact, he speaks of hell more than anyone else, punishments than anyone else in the Bible. And when you look at that, you go, why did he have to really hit those two things so hard? And we're going to look at that today. You know, Luke chapter 16, it talks about a man named uh, Lazarus. And he compares that with the rich man. And the Bible says here, and uh, one of our focus is on Luke chapter 16. But in the screen it says that the poor man's field may produce an abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. You know, I appreciate you coming up here. Uh, this world is not fair. I just had my 48th birthday about a week and a half ago. From my empirical understanding and perspective of this world, there is no way you can tell me that this world is fair. It is not fair. The fact that we are sitting here today and there are countless of people, billions upon billions of people that lives on $2 a dollar a day tells me that the world is not fair. 
you know, we talk about just even within our country, there are stats, there are numbers that are coming out, and talks about the numbers of Americans that are living below the poverty line. Now, our poverty is a little different than some poverty around the world, but it highlights the fact that really the world is not fair. I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest. You know, I didn't come from a Christian background, but when I first started reading the Bible, it blew my mind on how real and honest it is. And how, not only is it honest, it gives us the answer on how to interface with an unfair world that we live in today. It says that, hey, look, the fields of a, of a poor man, it produces good stuff. God produces and allows people to have sustenance. But the Bible says that injustice, the winds of injustice, blows it away. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I'll tell you a little bit about that as well in the next slide here. You know, Vietnam is a country that is, it prides itself on socialism, trying to make the world fair, trying to even out the, the playing field a little bit, a centralized government dictating policies that would make the world fair. It seems good, right? But you know, it doesn't work. And Jesus, with this one sentence, clarifies that. One sentence could have saved all those lives. One sentence could have saved all those wars. Jesus said what? He says, the poor you will always have. What does that mean? That means we live in a fallen world. That means that there is no utopia where we live. That is the highlight that we are, the, 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 the point that we are faced with. So what does that mean? That means that we need to do the best that we can in this world. You know, the Bible says that when this woman came to Jesus and poured perfume on him to prepare him for burial, he says, the poor you will always have. But what she has done, it was beautiful. And uh, wherever the gospel is preached, it will be taught in memory of her. One of my favorite movies ever, Gladiator. Such a manly movie, don't you think? It's a great movie. I love it. Maximus, Gladiator. You know, when Marcus Aurelius asked him, the king, the emperor at that time, says, Maximus, why do you do what you do? Why do you travel around the world doing what you do? And this was his answer in the movie. He says, I've seen much of the rest of the world. It is brutal, it is cruel, and it is dark. Rome is the light. And at that time, they asked him, they said, you know, how many years, how many days have you been gone away? And he counted the days, the months and the days. He says, I've been gone this long. And Marcus Aurelius says, why do you do that? Because the world is dark. And to him, Rome was the light. You know, I am 48. I've lived half of my life in Asia, half of my life here. And I tell you what, I want to lift up the veterans in, uh, in our group today. If you are a veteran and uh, have families, immediate families, that are serving in the military, I'd like you to stand on up at this time. Stand on up. Stand on up. If you are a veteran. There's one back there. Okay. We appreciate your service. You know, America, to me, as someone that was born overseas, is the greatest country on the face of the earth. I'm telling you, I enjoy America. 
The freedom to stand up here and preach the word, to share the gospel, is due in part to these brothers and sisters and their families as well. The sacrifice that they've made. You know, to Maximus at that time, it was Rome. Rome was the country that, that really, despite its brutality, despite all the things that they did wrong, they were the light at that time. And in many ways, God used them to shine that light. And the, Christ, the Christian faith piggybacked on those very same roads and the languages. You know, how do we interface with a world that has fallen? How do we really interact with that world every day? You know, the International Day of Giving is one day where we save some money together, a dollar a week, to give to the contribution for the work around the world. But that's just one thing that we do. That's just one thing. But God has such a greater, greater expectation of us as we read here in the book of Luke. The title of my lesson today is God's Social Justice. It's a hard pill sometimes to swallow God's social justice justice. Because I don't know about you, but when I look around the world, it makes me ask questions. I go, how come? Why? Why is it so unfair? Why does it have to be like that? And sometimes it makes me doubt. It makes me question. Not the existence of God, but the methods of God. Why? How could this go on? And it's hard sometimes. But we're called to accept and understand God's social justice. There's a story about a man uh, by the name of Lazarus. And he com- Jesus compares him with the rich man. And the significance of this is that, you know, in the parables of Jesus, he never uses names, except for this one parable. And the scripture that we read earlier in the Proverbs, the Bible says that the poor man, no name, things are taken away. But in this particular scripture, Jesus chose to give a name to the poor. My first point is that he knows them by name. You see, the poor is a statistic in so many ways. The poor is a number in so many ways. And we parade those numbers out to illustrate it is unfair. But Jesus gives them a name. This is the only parable in the scripture where a name is given to a particular person, in this case, Lazarus, the poor. You know, a lot of commentaries wrestle with this scripture a lot. They don't know. Is is it literal? What does it really mean? I mean, does it mean that when you're rich, you're going to go to hell? And when you're poor, you get an automatic ticket to heaven? That's not what it means, no. There There are different layers of this scripture. But all I know is that he names this person, and you look at throughout this whole scripture here, Many, many different times. It is the rich man that did not get a name in this particular parable. It was the poor person that Jesus named. He knows them by name. Luke chapter 16. In verse 19 to verse 26, we're going to read. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. And he lived in luxury every day. At the gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was torment in torment 
he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. You know, and this, like I said, I mean, Lazarus, the Bible says that his whole life has been full of suffering. His whole life to a point where he was laying out in the streets and the dogs would come and lick his wounds. You know, what, this, what blows my mind away is the rich man in this story. The Bible says that he lived in that condition every day of his life. You know, we see stuff every day in our lives as well. Or do we? I wonder about him because he must have passed Lazarus every day as he walked into his house. What did he do to himself? How did he interface with that? How did he respond to that? What did he tell himself every single day? How did he justify himself every single day? You know, I think Jesus chose to give this person a name because of that. Because they are forgotten in so many ways. That we only give when we have the time. When it is out of the excess. The Bible says that just you know, long see what fell from the rich man's tables. It's just the crumbs that are given to the people around the world. If you look at, at statistics, it's, it's really hard because the, 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 the concentration of wealth is pretty hard to comprehend. Whether it's individuals or countries or regions around the world, and there are certain places that are just, it's like, why can't we do more? Why can't we do more for the Lazarus of the world? You know, I appreciate the scripture a lot because, like I said, I mean, there's a name to each single person. And I think my point is this, that we have to strive to figure that out. We have to translate the numbers into names. We have to translate what we see at a moment, and really figure out what can we do every single day. In verse uh, 19, so he called to him, he says, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, because I am in agony of this fire. This scripture gives us a little glimpse of the character of the rich man. Check this dude out. He's in hell. He's looking up. And he's still giving commands. He's still ordering people around. He's like a sunlighters to come down here to give me a drink of water. That is to me, it characterizes at some level the blindness that we have when we refuse to really look at some things. He was blinded. I mean, in hell, looking up, send Lazarus, who's nobody to me. I've seen him. Down here, give me a drink of water. You see, the issue of hell is not, God is such a mean person. The issue of hell is not like, wow, this, 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 this is so unfair. The issue of hell is that this guy's heart was so far removed. He lived in his own world for so long. He cared so little about people that he sees every day. That it tells you a little bit about his relationship with God as well. Because the Bible says that 
It's hard to love God when we say that we love God, but we can't love people who are right in front of us. You see, that's why Jesus gave this guy a name. He is somebody. He is someone. And if we don't remember that, if we don't really consider that and think about that, we have the danger of becoming just like the rich man. We get a little bit entitled. We want to be served. We feel sorry for ourselves. I don't have any water. I'm pretty hot. Lazarus, help me out. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. It is done. In this lifetime, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to work on our hearts. It is in this lifetime that we have an opportunity to really get our hearts right before God. And I don't know about you, but that is important to me. That that is the that I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for the condition of what's inside, what's in my mind, what I think about. And Abraham says there's a chasm that's been fixed. This is it. This is the place that we get to make that decision. Left, right, that's our choice. Blue pill, red pill, that's our choice. He gave them a name. He gave value to them. And he asked us to give value to people as well. To really think about these things. Point number two. He knows our hearts. You know, that... I worry about that because our hearts are so... The Bible actually says that our hearts are really deceitful. The Bible says that we, we think we're good. You know, I know that my wife is pretty objective. That's why we need people in our lives. Well, sometimes. I think as she gets older, I think she's, she's more, you know, like less objective. I think when we first got married, she's like, pretty cool. I married a great dude. Now she's like, uh, can you help this man who's living with me? Me. But I think my mom is still pretty unobjective of who I am because she lives like 400 miles away. He knows our hearts. And the Bible doesn't teach us that the heart is just this feeling or this, this, this ideal thought of who we think we are. The Bible is real. It's scary, guys. When the Bible talks about our hearts, it means the tangible things that are done outside that reflects the hearts. You see, if you look at this scripture, I want to go back to that. It says that there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. But I highlighted that three words, those three words, at his gate. You see, the Bible includes the fact that it was right by his gate. It was like 10,000 miles away that the suffering was happening. It was at his gate. Every day he went through and he just ignored Lazarus. Every day he made a different excuse to a point where he didn't even make excuses anymore. See, don't, I mean, I love that song, God, God, God reigns, right? God, God is awesome. I mean, God is scary to me. Don't mess with God. 
I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've like, don't mess with God. There's a picture. Somebody told me, throw in some pictures. I threw in a picture. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) You got to be relatable, right? Luke 16, verse 27. He answered, then I beg you, Father. And here he is again. <laughs> Send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. It's so revealing. This guy's heart. He just has a habit of bossing people around. And even in hell, that doesn't change. You know what they say about hell? Hell is just a perpetuation of who we are. Into eternity. And the second thing about this thing is that he says, listen, this is, he's still thinking about comfort. There's no like, man, I really messed up. I really got a bad heart. I got a hard heart. Can you help me with that? He says, no, I'm sick and tired of this place. Is it time to sing? <laughs> what are you guys moving around? Okay. Um, you know, he's, he's, just, he's still thinking about his torment. That's all he's thinking about. That's his only concern, his comfort, and no one else. God knows our hearts. You know, in that same chapter, Jesus talks about that. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own. Jesus lays it out. He says, listen, guys, listen, it's, 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 it's in the heart. You know, it's like, if I give you money, which is to him not that important, it's a tool, he says, if I give you that and you're just hoarding it, and he says that it's not even your money, he says, someone else's property. We're just here to shepherd the money that God gives us, to use some for ourselves, take care of ourselves, but to really make a difference as well. He says, how can I give you something that's even greater than than these little things that you have now? Continuing on, it says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. How can you tell if something is really valuable? Something you can tell by something is really valuable is that if everything else compares to it is really expendable. That's what it means. He says, or will he be devoted to the one and despise the other? You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, he says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sights. You know, Jesus is so definitive. He says we cannot serve both God and money. Money is a tool that he's given us to be used. But we're not to serve money. He knows our hearts. You know, I love the scripture because, man, I look at Lazarus, and and I don't know what that means. Some theologians believe that really it's, it's a combination of both. It's a combination of, we don't know. It doesn't mean that you're rich, you're going to go to hell. If you're, if you're poor, you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that spiritually, yes, it does. 
Spiritually, if we think that we are so wealthy, we don't need a cotton-picking thing, uh, that's a one-way ticket to you-know-where. He says that but we're in poverty when we see our need for God, that we don't rely on this world, the money and the wealth and the power. There is hope for us. God knows our hearts. Let me close on out. He gives us his word. Okay. You see this conversation between a man who really messed up his heart with Abraham, and we see glimpses into how he thinks and he, how he operates. And in uh, chapter 16, in verse 29, 29-31, he says, Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This rich man, he's still thinking that way. He says, listen, do a miracle. Do something great. Move my heart. Stir it up. Make it unequivocal that I need to really do something. And Abraham's answer to him was, I can't. And, and, and by the way, that's not going to help anyways. Magic and tricks and those kind of things, it helps for a little while, but it's the Word of God that's going to train our hearts. That's what Abraham says. We live in a media culture and we need to do some different things to communicate better? Absolutely. Do we need to jump into the 21st century and use the tools of the 21st century? Absolutely. But if the message that's being carried by those things is not what God wants us to have, then it's worthless. Are we trained by God's Word? He's given us the Word to train our hearts, to read in the morning, to read at night, to teach one another, to admonish and help one another to keep our hearts soft and not be like the rich man. I want to close out in the scripture in Mark chapter 5. You know, Jesus met a lot of people. That was his ministry. He spent a lot of time meeting people, walking around, talking to the common people, getting their names. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often, chained and, uh, cha- uh, had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now we're going to make a transition from physical wealth, physical poverty, to what's on the inside, spiritual you know, we see a man that was really left alone. Did you know, I, I, I read the stats and I was blown away. As we speak today, this very moment, there are 80,000 Americans that are being incarcerated. But get this, 80,000 Americans right now that are incarcerated in solitary confinement. That means that they spend 23 hours a day by themselves. There was a, a prison that was modeled for that where they thought that, you know, the worst punishment to reform someone is just leave them alone. And
And the instructions was to even have the, the guards wear socks so that they don't hear any noise, no books, nothing. That's changed. We become a little bit more humane. But you know, there are a lot of people like that, not in solitary confinement, but by themselves, just like this man. The Bible says that he would cut himself with stones. And when Jesus finally caught up to him, this is what happens. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want me with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirits. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are you know, I don't know about you, but it tells me that that's, in so many ways, that is such a the, the condition of mankind today. If we peel away the layers of the facade of where we live and the jobs that we have and the education, we see a lot of people with, with cuts. If we take the time to find out. You know, it's so funny, you know. Uh, the man was so messed up that when Jesus asked for the name, he didn't even ask the man for the name. He has the demons their name. Because in order for him to really get to the man, he had to get these guys out of the way. There are so many awesome things that God has created in us. We are created in the image of God. But through the years, the cutting, the stones, hides us. You know, that's where we come in as people of God. If we say we are the people of God, if we say that we are the people with the words of God, this is where we come in. It's not 2,000, 5,000 miles away. It's the people in, near our gates, our neighbors, our friends. Yes, we are here to meet the physical needs of our friends and our neighbors, of our world, but it's also the spiritual as well. I really want to encourage us today. I was convicted by this study. You know, God takes away every excuse that we have, amen? And he challenges us at a heart level of why we are here. Why do we receive our salvation more, you know, before anyone else? Why are we still here today? To really be a light. Not Rome, not the United States, but as Christians, we are that light. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, not only that uh, we have each other, uh, but we have sustenance as well, more than most people around the world. But more than that, God, we have our salvation. For those that really believe that uh, Jesus is their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that we can be like him, not only to worship him, but to imitate him as well. God, help us as we are reminded of the International Day of Giving, that every day is the International Day of Giving as disciples. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for each one of the brothers and sisters here. Help us have a great week. We pray in Jesus' name.